evening also to those watching on the stream. Um, I trust you'll have a blessed evening. Um, we're carrying on from last week where Jabu left us. Uh, he did Ruth chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, and we're doing verse 8 to 23 tonight. It reads as follows. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. But, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until, until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. 
So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Lord, I thank you for your word. Won't you hinder my opinions, my biases tonight, Lord? May it be your truth and your truth alone that passes from my lips, Lord. Guide me as I go through this text. Amen. I've titled the sermon tonight, Favor for the Foreigner. But in my introduction, I want to propose an idea or concept, which is this. Obedience to the law is not a foregone conclusion. There exists a gap between law and reality. Take our country, for example. Everyone has the right to food or, and water, and yet we know many go to bed hungry. We know there are laws in place that are meant to protect us, laws that prevent theft and violence, but, but, but at the same time, we live in a land where we know these things are not a reality. Very basic examples, but they serve their purpose. Written law is never fully realized in reality. Written law is words on a page. <clears throat> but depending on the times, depending on the rise and fall of good or evil, the law is applied by varying degrees. Even in those times, the times of Ruth, the times where this was the law, the law was still applied by varying degrees. I'll remind us of how the book of Ruth opens. It opens with the words, in the days when the judges ruled. This takes us back to the book of Judges that we recently did a series on. And a common phrase in that book was, the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And as the book of Judges closes, it says this, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is when Ruth was set. Everything from rape to murder to betrayal to cutting up bodies into 12 pieces. That's the book of Judges. And it was a terrible time, an evil time. Also, Ruth opens by telling us there was a harvest. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry, not a harvest, a famine, famine. There was a famine. It was a time of need in the land. Unfortunately, need only contributes further to crime, to lawlessness. That's why crime is often seen as a product of poverty. I think it was in the first German that, in the first sermon 
Ajabu described this time as moral and ethical chaos. This chaos is felt in a very real way by Ruth, here in chapter 2. Notice one of the first things Boaz says to Ruth in verse 9 is, Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Why is this necessary to tell young men not to touch young women? There were supposed to be laws that protected widows and the poor, and yet Boaz still finds it, ne- finds it necessary to tell his young men, don't touch Ruth. In verse 22, after Ruth returns home, Naomi also points to the possibility of Ruth being assaulted in another field if she, if she had not found favor with Boaz. These were terrible times, and I want us to see the events of these books as that much more amazing, that much more providential, because God produced good in a time of evil. And as we look at the characters of Boaz and Ruth, I want us to see these characters as that much more special, because people of faith were few and far between in these times. Let us start with the character of Boaz. The character of Boaz is presented to us as a man who follows God, who takes seriously the laws of God, even when evil reigns around him. This is a special man, and an improbable man, possibly one in a thousand. This was not the norm. I'm going to try and focus on two specific characteristics of Boaz that we get from the text. Firstly, he was a man of humility. Consider with me Ecclesiastes 5, verse 8 to 9. It reads as follows. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, Do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for the land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. I recently had to go to the traffic uh, department to try and get a driving permit, And and I ended up in a line, and it felt like I had been standing there for a long time, and I remember thinking to myself, has Figi Limbalula ever stood in line to get his license? Figi Limbalula, for those that don't know, is our Minister of Transport. Now, I'm not commenting on his character, I don't know him. But when you see the poor oppressed, don't be surprised. The high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. In other words, there's a long chain of command. And the longer the chain, the more space there is for corruption or weakness, and the less efficient it is. 
between us commoners and Fihile Mbalula, there's probably about 10 different officials. That's just a guess. From the person you talk to behind the counter, there's his boss, he has his boss, there's another boss, and eventually it gets to Fihile Mbalula. But for this whole system to work efficiently, it takes a miracle. There's so many people involved. But this is what it says. But this is gain for a land in every way. A king committed to cultivated fields. Now, a king doesn't belong in the fields. In the fields, there's commoners and peasants and the poor and widows like Ruth. That's not where a king belongs. Kings have palaces and armies and wars to worry about. They are not commonly involved in the cultivating of fields. But it is good for the land when they are, because if a king is involved with the lowest in the land, it means there's less space for corruption. It means the system is more efficient. Now, Boaz wasn't a king. He wasn't a king, but he was a rich man, a man of power. It's clear from the text. He had many servants, both male and female. He did not have to be there that day. He didn't have to be in the field. He could have just delegated to someone. But the fact that he was there speaks to his character. In this time of lawlessness, where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, there was Boaz, a rich man who was still committed to cultivated fields. Consider verse 5 and 6. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers said, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Notice how Boaz immediately spots a new face amongst his workers. That's because he was present. He too was hard at work. Not only that, but he also ate with them. He shared a meal with them. Consider verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. There's humility to Boaz. He did not consider himself too rich or too accomplished to not eat with, to not eat with and work with those in his employ, commoners, peasants, people he didn't really belong with. So number one, he was a man of humility. Number two, he was a man of kindness and generosity and charity. Obedience to the law. Jabu referred to these two scriptures last week, but I want us to revisit them. Firstly, Leviticus 19, verse 9 to 10. It reads as follows. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. 
Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Second scriptures, Deuteronomy 24, verse 19 to 21. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And then consider Ruth 2, verse 15, in our current chapter. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Boaz applies the law. He is mindful of God's commands, but he also goes above and beyond the requirements of the law. He goes beyond just leaving a corner of the field for the poor and the widows. Boaz instructs his workers to forget stuff on purpose so that Ruth would have more to collect. But also notice Boaz only instructed his young men to do so when she rose to glean. And then, she, and then he instructed his young men. He waited for her to leave. He wasn't trying to make a big show of kindness. He did not seek a claim in helping her. I imagine this is the sort of thing Jesus was talking about when he said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That's a bit of Boaz. Let's look at Ruth, the Moabite. Ruth is on the receiving end of Boaz's kindness and favor. But her immediate response is found in verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Ruth knows her place in this evil society. She was painfully aware that she was a foreigner. She knows she doesn't quite fit in or belong. Even the writer of Ruth continually reminds us by referring to her as Ruth the Moabite. Verse 2, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi. Verse 6, After Boaz notices the new face, he asks his servant who it is. The servant responds, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Even verse 26, when we are back to normal conversation between Ruth and Naomi, the text still refers to her as Ruth the Moabite. She stood out. People were aware of her foreignness. It seemed to be part of her identity, and it seemed community held it against her. Secondly, with regards to Ruth, Ruth is a widow. Widows were shunned in society. Generally, they were not looked upon kindly. There is evidence also that in ancient times, women, widows 
sorry, widows wore different clothing to others. Genesis 38 verse 14, incidentally referring to Boaz's great, 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 great grandmother, Tamar, who was also a widow. That's a story for another day. It specifically says she took off her widow's clothing. Generally in these evil times, people would see her coming a mile away in her widow's clothing, and they would not have been interested. And Ruth the Moabite, this foreign widow. So we have Ruth, this foreign widow, and we have Boaz, the rich man. On paper, considering the times they lived in, they should have nothing to do with each other. But by God's providence and grace, Ruth the foreigner is granted favor. Which brings me to my third point, and I see two forms of favor that Ruth has granted. Firstly, and this is the more obvious, she was granted physical, material favor. Boaz offered her protection, but also food to eat. For someone like Boaz, someone in power, a rich man, to take notice of her, to be kind to her, it's unexpected. These two characters are at opposite ends of society. But it wasn't, it wasn't a passing kindness. On the first day alone, she brought home an ephah. That's approximately 30 kgs. This wasn't just 10 rand given to someone at the robots. This was a significant change in fortune. So much so that when Ruth got home, and the first thing Naomi says to her in verse 19 is, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She knew right away that Ruth couldn't have done this alone. But it also wasn't a once-off kindness. Verse 23 tells us that this continues until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. This would have been a period of about seven weeks. Again, this was a significant change in fortune. In one day, going from not knowing where her next meal will come from, to being given protection and location to, to harvest food for a good amount of time. But secondly, there's a more subtle favor that Ruth found in Boaz that was much more than just physical. It did more than just satisfy carnal needs like food. Let's look at 2 verse 11. This is when Ruth asked Boaz, why did he show her favor? Because she was a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. For the first time in the text, and for the first time even in the book of Ruth, 
someone other than Naomi sees Ruth for who she is. Not a foreigner, not a widow, no, 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 no. Those things fade away. She is one who has taken refuge under the wings of God Almighty. Another meaning for the word wings is skirts or the end of the tunic which they wore in those days. Even men wore it because pants are a modern invention. I think little children, <clears throat> excuse me, I think little children still do that. They climb under their mother's dress and they hide under there. So it was with Ruth. She took refuge under the tunic of God, her father. There's an intimacy to it. Boaz saw her not as a widow, not as a foreigner, but as someone who shared an intimacy with God by taking refuge under his wings. It's a huge compliment, and it's a blessing to be recognized in that way. May we be known as people who have taken refuge under God's wings. But let's conclude. What can we learn from this? What can we learn from this narrative and these characters? How do we apply these things today? And I have a few practical lessons that we can learn from these characters. Number one, Boaz's work ethic and attitude to those under him. Our attitude tends to be, let me get rich enough so that I can pay someone else to do the job I don't want to do. And while they're doing that job that I don't want to do, I'll drive away in my smart car. Boaz chose to be intimately involved in the lives of those under him. He was their master. They were his servants. He was rich and powerful. They were most likely commoners. But he knew their faces. He sat with them. And he ate with them. I think there's much we can learn from that. To treat kindly and befriend those in our service or those who are beneath our status or class. Secondly, Boaz's kindness towards Ruth made me think of James 1, 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We would do well to be aware of the struggles of the widows in our congregation. Not only them, not only them, but everyone who has lost loved ones. Also widowers, also parents who have lost their children, and children who lose their parents. This is my first year in full-time ministry. I don't know, perhaps COVID has skewed the numbers a bit, but it seems to me there have been a great many funerals. There's been much death. Let us remember the people affected in our prayers, but also practically for those who cannot provide for themselves. Jabu and I were talking the other day about how quickly 
life moves on. We acknowledge death as a congregation. We get together for the funeral. We try and provide in an immediate sense. We pray about it in our prayer meetings and in the pastoral prayer. And those are all wonderful things, don't get me wrong. But generally, we are quick to forget those affected. Once the last guest goes home after the funeral, these people go home having to face the reality that life is continuing without the ones they loved. And often that's a lonely reality. Let's remember these people and pray for them and care for them even after the dust settles. And when we do care for them, we need not do it loudly for the whole church or community to see and think what wonderful Christians we are. We can do it with humility like Boaz. Another practical lesson, the third one now, is how we treat foreigners. Many people in our church and in our immediate context are not of this land. It's a difficult thing to leave your country and go to a foreign land, no matter who you are. There are periods of adjustment. Often there's a language barrier. Often in our context, people come to our country as refugees, as people in need. I think practically, we can learn much from how Boaz treated Ruth the Moabite with kindness. But lastly, and this is the real lesson and real application that I want us to walk away with, and that's from the character of Ruth. And this is where I want to tie this up with the theme in our series, remember, our redemption story revealed in an actual love story. The love story hasn't quite begun yet. It kicks off next week in a Jane Austen-esque manner with Naomi plotting how she's going to get her daughter-in-law married. Isaac will cover that. But for the first time in this story, we find in chapter 2, Ruth experiences redemption, some respite, some favor. She goes from a foreigner to being under the shadow of God's wings. This parallels beautifully our journeys, our walks as Christians. Like Ruth was to Boaz, we were once foreigners to God. Like Ruth, we are common. We might not all be widows, but we are small compared to God's greatness. Logically, on paper, the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, for him to show any interest in us is crazy. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Romans 5 verse 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God chooses us. He seeks us out. 
He loves us first. He is patient with us. Like Ruth, like Ruth, let us be aware of our foreignness. Let us be aware of our wretched man and I. Let us be aware that we are completely undeserving of the grace and favor that God offers us. And like Ruth, let that awareness drive us to fall on our faces daily, bowing to the ground in awe, in absolute awe of this mystery that God would love me. Lord, we do stand in awe of what you have done for us. But I confess, Lord, we often have short memories as we live out our Christian lives, we so easily forget that once we lived in complete enmity to you. Remind us, Lord, remind us of how deeply we need you. And even as we reflect on your love for us, give us a heart for those among us who are struggling. Give us a heart for those who have lost loved ones. Give us a heart for the widow and the poor. Give us a heart for the foreigner, Lord. Compel us by your love. Amen.